Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Jason Wells, Chief Technology Officer at Pattern. Pattern is a tech company that builds an AI-driven platform for helping businesses grow faster and sell more in e-commerce marketplaces. Jason joins Emerge CEO and Head of Research Daniel Fagella today to talk about the challenges developer teams and their managers face in integrating workflows, assessing engagement, hiring the right people, and beyond. Throughout his appearance, he emphasizes the importance of individualizing over generalizing system development for teams and elevating team members who are most passionate about solving problems. Without further ado, here's their conversation. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah. And we're getting to talk about a topic that is dear to your heart as a CTO, working with many, many talented technical people and working with talented technical people in your clients' companies as well. And this is building well-rounded product and development teams that involve data science. I think a lot of organizations have learned that running a bunch of data scientists sort of as if they're just regular software developers has been sort of a failing algorithm to get some great output and keep people productive. I'd love to get your take on maybe some of those mistakes you see people make and, and some of the best practices you wish more people knew about. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, we think about dev teams in a very specific way, right? And we ha are such a data-heavy company that you really have to think about data science in a very similar way. And so what a lot of companies do that you've seen for a very, very long time is they go out, as anyone would, you go out to colleges, graduate programs, and you hire super smart data scientists that have all the skills that you need for them to go explore. And then they do one of two things. You go stick them in a corner and say, go do some cool stuff. And they, they lob things over the fence. The other thing that you see them do is you stick them straight on a dev team and you say, hey, we want to launch XYZ product. We think this would be really great. Can you just get in the flow of that? And then the first thing that someone asks them is, okay, how many sprint points is that going to be this week, right? Like, how are you going to go and deliver that? And then they go, whoa, 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 this is not how I'm used to working. I need to go through requirements. We got to dig in, yeah. we got to research. And so you kind of end up in one of these two buckets uh, and it really causes a lot of stress on those, those teams and developers. Okay, so yes, sprint points is sort of not necessarily always the ML engineer's sort of first way of thinking about the universe. But if you're, you know, been doing front end or whatever, sometimes it is. Do you try to rectify that kind of culturally from the get-go in onboarding? Do you look for people that can sort of, you know, juggle a little bit of both worlds? In other words, hey, we, we do have kind of stuff we want to push to real customers here, you know, and that matters. It's not academic research here, but but still allow for some of that data science R&D angle. What's the, what's the way to kind of square the circle? Yeah. So one of the things that we look for a lot is people who have just had a history of delivering value, right? At Pattern, when we're interviewing and hiring, you know, their kind of pattern of success, if you'll excuse the pun. I, I was going to do it if you didn't important. do it. So thanks for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but you know, it's very important for us because we want people who have gone to companies and done and shown, oh, I've done these cool projects, or we hire a lot from people that we've worked with through graduate programs where we worked with them while they were graduate, right? They did projects for us. We gave those universities data and they did really cool, interesting things with it, right? So you're trying to find the people who have that history. But then when you bring them in, what you're really trying to do is support them from both sides. What you want to do is say, hey, 
I know you don't really love the data engineering aspect of what you have to do, and maybe it's not your skill set, right? Some people, it is. Some people really can get in there like, man, I'm a SQL wizard. A lot of data scientists know just enough to get that going, right? And then you sort of have the ML ops side, right? How do I deploy it? You know, are you are you deploying it on Google? Are you using AWS SageMaker? A lot of times they've never used these tools before. And so what you're really trying to do is say, how do I make it the easiest possible for them to come and slot in and say, I'm a really smart person. I have a history of solving great problems. Can we support you from both sides with sort of our processes and things that we've set up so that they're not going and saying, ah, oh, geez, how am I gonna deploy this ML model? We say, okay, great, you wrote the model, you did some really interesting things. Okay, we're gonna support you with kind of our ML ops, site reliability, you know, DevOps types of things. And then when you go and say, hey, I'm spending a lot of time writing these SQL queries or they're not very performant, you go, great, I have this really awesome data engineer and he's gonna help you out and really make that scale. Got it. So support from both sides from the get-go. You mentioned sort of the, you know, the, the ever-present grumbling around data engineering. Are there every now and again folks that like that part of the muck work? Because the common complaint is, well, 80% of your time is going to be dealing with these, you know, ugly databases or, you know, horribly unharmonized data that you're going to have to sort of do all the, the juggling and exporting and hoopla with. Have you found that it's, it's great to find people who, who like that to be part of their work? Have you found that it's great to hire people specifically for that so you can keep your, your general data scientist away from that? Or, or how are you tackling that inevitability? Yeah. yeah, good question. So one of the things that I think we like to have people who have that skill set. I don't think they need to be experts in that skill set. What you want someone to do is they're not afraid to go get their hands dirty and say, I got the data and solved my problem. What you don't want them to then have to do is say, oh, I need to now operationalize this. You wrote these great batch pipelines. That's going to run over the course of six hours. I need to operationalize that and bring that down to running it at a much faster. I need it to run much more often, right? And so that's where I find that bringing in people who are data engineers by trade, right? Those are the times that it can really help you accelerate. And then if you have someone who's maybe not as a SQL wizard as you maybe would have helped, that data engineer can help them accelerate and answer questions and say, hey, I'm looking to get this data or I can't get this Kai combined correctly. And they go, great, yeah, I've got your back. But really it's for that next level of support when you're trying to scale that product, not you know trying to add a level of bureaucracy or dependency by saying, hey, I, I rely on a data engineer to get me everything exactly how I need it. Yeah. I would rather use that as an optimization at a later step. Got it. Got it. So when you're initially tinkering and kind of figuring out what Lego pieces are going to connect to drive value, don't require some assistant to export every you know Excel doc or whatever the case may be for you. But if, if now you know where the information is and what you're going to level up and you know how it works and you kind of got the pipeline in mind, yeah, sure. Maybe now we don't want you vacuuming and sweeping this stuff with 80% of your time. Maybe now it's, it's time to get somebody with a, a designated workflow that we understand. So once we find almost, we find the fit, we find the click, we find the productive flow. Great. Now we can, we can make it a, a real handoff. If I'm, am I not shelling this correctly? Yeah, 100%. Because what okay. you really want is the person who's driven to solve that problem. And they're going to go, and like you say, we don't have to crack that nut perfectly, but I want people who are smashing down doors, looking for stuff. I'm digging through data, trying to get it done. That's the real skill set that you want. You want people to be able to get their hands dirty that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And somebody who's like, I'm, I'm too good to do any 
handling of dirty data all whatsoever. I mean, that's obviously not really going to function well in a, a company that needs to move fast. And, and I guess that sort of naturally takes us into our second theme and topic, which you and I had talked about off mic, Jason, and I felt like, okay, there's a lot here that we could have fun with. And this is sort of balancing the strengths of data science talent, maybe ML engineers, other folks along those lines, with sort of their own desires, where they want their career to develop, where they like to spend their time. There might be some things that you could have a great PhD do, and it would be unbearably, amazingly wonderful for the business in terms of value, but they're never going to sit there and do that and just that for four months straight. It's just not going to be the life that they want. There clearly is a balance there, right? Because I mean, of course, you know, they need a job that they like. You guys also need to get enough done to compete in the marketplace. How do you think about striking that balance? Yeah, that one has been a little bit more of a journey for us, but I feel like we've come to a really great place. So one of the things that we do is we do segment our data scientists from our typical development teams. So they are not coming in and saying, oh, here's what the backlog is. Here's what you're going to be working on this week. There is a portion of that, right? We need that support. We want them involved in the continual development, especially of models that they've explored and taken, and then we need to productionalize. You want them continuing to improve on that model. One of the problems with just a complete throw over the fence model is once they throw it over the fence to the dev team, we want an iteration two, and now they don't know how to get back into that code. It's not their same model. It was completely mm. redone. So that's one thing you try and protect. And so you kind of carve out and say, hey, here's our product requirements. X percent of your time is going to be driving towards the product. And then the other side is sort of, hey, we want you talking with the business. We want you talking with people on the front lines of doing what we're doing. We want you talking with executives at our company about what we feel like the problems are that we need to solve. And then what you want to do is say, okay, they see the big broad themes of this is really important. This is super impactful for somebody, right? I'm hearing a lot about this. And you want them to go in their sphere of what they're responsible for. You want them to go and explore and come back and say, hey, look at some cool you know, proof of concepts that I've done. Or, hey, we ran this cool analysis. I think we could really do something with this, right? And then we you know, sit around and we'll have frequent meetings where we're meeting with the business or meeting as a group. And sometimes it's like, hey, that's, that's really neat. When we kind of think about it from a business perspective, maybe it's a little gee whiz. Maybe it's, oh, wow, that is like super amazing. I could go sell that all day long. Or, wow, that'll really improve the efficiency of our team. And what you're trying to do is give them enough vision and access to the right people to explore. And then they're bringing those to the teams. And we're kind of swatting away the ones that were like, yeah, interesting, but not now or not at all. And, oh, wow, those are the really big you know, diamonds we want to pick up. And then here's ones that we want to consider for the future. Yeah. That balance of vision time versus let's call it throwing your shoulder into it, right? Where you, you already know, Hey, this product's got to get built. We've got to get these data pipelines up and running. This recommender has to be leveled up. Here's, you know, we need a way to be able to measure performance on this, whatever the thing is, there's, there's work work. And then there's sort of the vision side, you know, the, the 3M model, so to speak a little bit, right? So. Do you guys kind of calibrate that balance differently just based on the predilections of the the team member? Maybe if they're if they're just they're plowing forward and that's what they like to do, great. Or do you sort of 
have a, a general mandate of, hey, you know, here's here's kind of going to be project time or product time or whatever, and then here's going to be sort of a little bit more of the pie in the sky periods where we can we can find new ways to connect the dots, or is it very individualized? I guess. Yeah, I think it is a little bit individualized. It depends on what I would consider like the season of the product life cycle mm. to some degree, right? So what you're really looking for is that seasonality of, at first, you almost always have a lot of exploration and you get a really big peak of exploration and talking through things and ideating and, hey, these are the problems that we need to solve and things like that. Then you sort of come down into that valley. We've kind of taken away some of the big ones and then we've established a product roadmap where we're saying, this is what we're working on this quarter, or this is what we're working on next month. And what you're trying to do is always be involved at that point saying, hey, these are big priorities from us from a product perspective. We need you to spend the time helping to move those things along. And let's try our best. And this is something that sometimes is hard, but some, it, but we, what we really strive for is, how do I feel like one team working towards that when we're in that season of work? You're really wanting them to maybe sometimes it could be as much as 50 or 60 or 70% of their time, right? That in that particular season, okay, what coordination do I need to do with our MLOps engineer? What coordination do I need to do with our data engineers? Oh, we were pulling that from a non-scalable source. How do we retool that? What, what little things do we need to work out? How do we tweak it to fit the business case? But then what you're trying to do is get them in there unblock those barriers and then what you want them to do is you know they're going to start going into the next season of things right where it's like okay i'm exploring a little bit again while that product's being worked on and sometimes they're bouncing between that depending on how heavily loaded our data scientists are they could be sometimes popping between two or three things that are sort of in product life cycle you could be, you know, and sometimes it's like very, very exploratory, but I do feel like it's a very kind of a seasonal type of approach. When it comes to, I guess, keeping that balance happy, I'll close on this note. You have the realities of the business, which feel like the seasons here. This is just sort of what we need to focus on. This is this is where we, we sort of need to move. And our level of flexibility sort of has to work around that. That sounds realistic. It sounds like a nuanced take that probably people should consider. Is there anything from like a technology or enablement standpoint that allows teams to switch between those two modes that for you feels productive or feels like it frees them up? Because I know that anything that will keep them out of muck work would be sort of like happy times. Are there any things, whether it be processes or tech that for you are like, hey, limiting the felt sense of grind, like these are kind of tips and tricks people should probably know about. One of the tips I would say is that you never want to move completely into full down, heads down implementation, right? That thing, when it's just like 100% of your time for very long periods of time can feel very grinding. So there always needs to be some level of exploration, even if it's just, oh, I'm refining the next project that's going to be coming up or working with the business. The second one is, I think from an enablement perspective is never cutting them off from the business themselves. I think sometimes this can be, you know, you see this in development teams a lot, right? Where sometimes the developers can be very cut off from the business. You're getting it from your product manager, you're coming in and you're, they're telling you what to do and you move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that's always a balance you have to strike in normal dev teams, but that's like death for data science teams, I think right? You really want them to have access always to that vision and that 
kind of what are the problems that the business is experiencing firsthand. It may seem duplicative. You're like, well, I have a product manager that does that. They can tell you what the big problems are, but they just, I think data scientists have a very interesting way of looking at problems and saying, I want to go explore that. You know, at Pattern, we have a lot of access from even our CEO to our data scientists about talking about what's coming up or why is this thing working like this or should we think about changing it? But it's that type of access that I feel like if you always keep that open, executives and leadership are always going to be wanting to feed those sort of interesting ideas to them and it will keep them working on them because leadership won't let them stop and so then you do have to then it's more of a forcing function to say okay well i'm gonna have to like you know fence off some of the time for regular dev work but i've got to let them continue to explore because leadership's going to start complaining saying hey where are my where are my data science guys why don't I have access to it? Why do they say that they can't work on anything because they're so busy on this project? So I think that is an interesting balance and may seem a little bit counterintuitive and it's probably a little dangerous, but I know one of the things we talk about a pattern is giving people the freedom where you want to feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? You're giving them enough freedom that I go, oh, geez, I feel a little bit uncomfortable with that freedom. That's probably the right spot to be, because if you feel completely comfortable, you're probably stifling them. Wow. Reasonable rule of thumb for yourself in your own career, but probably decent management advice as well, Jason. I like the fact that, you know, we talk a lot about AI being a team sport, really tough to just tuck data scientists in a dark corner and think they're going to solve real world problems. You're talking about the importance of having that bandwidth as being kind of a center to keeping these folks productive and keeping them motivated. I think that's an excellent point to to end on and something that hopefully for our listeners, that point of the team sport is going to be bringing it around in a loop from many past episodes. So Jason, thank you so much for the very technical perspective on this and sharing some of your best practices. It's been great to have you on the show. It's been a pleasure, Tim. Wrapping up today's episode, I think a point that Jason made that I think is just so overlooked because... There's no other way to say it than touching on really touchy-feely, happy-go-lucky buzzwords that sound like they don't mean anything, but this really is true. Jason was talking about hiring the right people in for developer teams, and he had mentioned that it's not so much about their previous experience, their expertise, what programs they seem the most familiar with, but really in terms of maybe not even recruitment, but maybe training and development is you want to elevate people who are the most passionate about solving problems. There's so many buzzwords in there, passion, problem solving, that it just sounds like a Hallmark card. But, oh man, I have to tell you, especially from someone here at Emerge who who does a lot of hiring, oh my God, I could live and die by this point, especially for everything that I've seen just from, you know, resumes and cover letters and, and we're people have spent a lot of time being educated and developing skills, upskilling in different systems and softwares. That's great. That's fantastic. All at the same time, do you want to learn the software? Are you excited to learn the software? Those are very different questions than is this on their resume. And a point that I think deserves some real underscore in terms of the lessons we want to take away from today's show that might have, just because there's really no better way to say it, 
flown over the heads of a few folks in the audience just because it, it sounds so much like a Hallmark card. Anyway, on behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast. 